Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast. Hope you are having a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and getting to spend some time with friends and family, eat some good food, maybe do a little shopping here and there as well. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you as always and ready to talk some CUSA football as we head into the last week of the season with uh, several teams still got plenty to play for and we'll dive into all of it over the course of the next hour or so. Uh, Eric, hope you're having a safe and uh, happy Thanksgiving here as we uh, sit down and record this. Yeah, Joe, no doubt about it. First off, as uh, as you said, I want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. Certainly a time for thanks. And to be honest, probably my favorite holiday of all of the holidays out there. So uh, I am enjoying all of the good eats, uh, trying to avoid all of the good sweets. That was not uh, intended there. It just made it happen. But um, yeah, the, the sweets are, are my downfall, which we will we'll talk about a little bit later on the presser, Joe. A little presser, a little bit later on in the, in the, in the, in the, in the recording of the podcast, Joe. I had a couple funny moments from um, FIU's presser where we all talked about our favorite Thanksgiving foods and our must and whatnot. So definitely be curious uh, a little later on to ask about that, those and uh, the ones that are your downfall. Can you imagine if we did this in like a presser style with a live studio audience every week? Oh, dude, I think that'd be amazing. Honestly, like so to, to bring the audience in a little bit, uh, one of my ideas, what are like my, you know, pie in the sky ideas again, uh, just keep them with the Thanksgiving theme is uh, I had wanted to do a live recording somehow at CUSA Media Day. It's just like a car wash, you know. Um, the, the logistics are make it difficult, but right. one day before it's all said and done, I absolutely want to try that. I think that'd be a, I think people get a kick out of that. Well, we'll have to find a way to make it happen one way or another, whether it's Media Days or some other format somewhere down the road. We will see. Uh, speaking the, the closest we did really quick for you, Joe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was uh, the <laughs> the the pod we did at, at the Airbnb, right in in Arlington? Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that was just us sitting around shooting the breeze. As I, I think I was more thinking of like people, like people actually like sitting there watching us do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. 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 I mean that's what I'm saying. Like we, if we, that would be the closest thing. But if we could find a way yeah. to build that live studio audience element, you know, to 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 witness the debates of me and Joe and and Emily Van Buskirk and Kevin Fielder and mm-hmm. Steve Helwick and yeah, like that would be entertainment in my mind. Yeah, just set it up on a porch and wait for people to trickle in. <laughs> exactly. All right. Speaking of Texas, let's uh, dive into our uh, result from that state this weekend. UTSA beat Rice 41 to 7. Not much to play for for UTSA in this one, um, but uh, they've already secured a, a berth in the CUSA title game as we've covered. But I, I say this as someone who's watched quite a bit of Lamar Jackson's college film. One of the best performances I've seen from a quarterback in FBS football. Uh, I mean, Frank Harris in this game, we were talking about it a little bit off air uh, just amongst our staff, but 11 of 14 through the air, 103 yards, two touchdown passes, uh, seven carries for 124 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So, you know, 
it's exceedingly rare for a quarterback to be a leading rusher and your leading passer as well. So because of that lead, obviously, we got to see some of UTSA's uh, probably the guy that's going to get the job next year. And Eddie Lee Marburger, we've seen him a little bit this year, Um, but just a fantastic day, as we kind of predicted for the UTSA offense. And then for Rice, um, you know, kind of more the same in terms of the issues there. Uh, Net five yards (laughs) total for uh, for that core. Can't do that if you want to have a chance against a team as good as UTSA. Uh, still have a shot at bowl eligibility for Rice, but uh, certainly a tough task with a North Texas team next week that also needs a win to uh, wrap up a berth in the CUSA title game for themselves. Joe, I think you hit the nail on the head in a lot of fronts there. I'm going to start with the UTSA as we talked about there, as you talked about, a glimpse of the future for UTSA. Had a chance to see Eddie Lee Marburger when the Roadrunners came to FIU. Uh, Got a chance to see him primarily in the fourth quarter. Him and Kavorian Barnes is another name to keep an eye on as well in the backfield. But when you talk about Frank Harris and you reference some of that off-air conversation, uh, I did, I did, you know, get a peek of that as well. And the big takeaway, and I don't want to be, you know, sound like a downer, but man, I wish we could have seen what would happen, Frank Harris, if he never had those knee injuries. And and, and I don't think that Frank Harris is is you know not still a very dynamic player as his numbers still uh, his numbers are, are evidence and, and show that but man I, I just i just really wish i could have seen what a healthy frank harris now granted i guess in theory he wouldn't still be here if he didn't have those injuries because you know the uh the medical red shirts and whatnot but mm-hmm. frank harris is before the the double acl injuries and, and if you've ever seen him play you know at the, i believe he still has that brace on that he plays with but just such a dynamic athlete and the reason i feel this way joe and I, I don't want to, you know, get too far away from the game coverage. Obviously, we're going to touch on Rice in a second here. But, Joe, the NFL is evolving. I Is Frank Harris a, like a first-round pick? Nah, pro- probably not, right? Um, but I think with the shift in the NFL in terms of offenses, I look at a guy like uh, – here's a name that I'm very familiar with because I saw the bulk of his career when he was at Temple. P.J. Walker, who's starting um, – well, he's banged up now, but it started some games for Carolina. Or, uh, Joe, another name that you may be familiar with, um, mm-hmm. former FCS guy, Josh Johnson, the uh, yep. quarterback you know, spent has been uh, a journeyman and a lot of time in the league. There's no one who tell who can tell me that Frank Harris couldn't be that guy uh, in in with his skill set in the way that NFL offenses kind of shift and require someone who can move the pocket and, and make throws. Again, maybe not as a, as a frontline starter, but as a serviceable backup. Um so is that his future uh, currently with, you know, his his um, his previous injuries? I don't know, but I just absolutely wonder and wish we could have seen more of him without those injuries. Um, so that's kind of my big takeaway there. And then, you know, as quickly on, on Rice, you, you, you pretty much touch on the, the, the main things there. They're still fighting for bowl eligibility. Obviously, you had to go with A.J. Padgett. And, uh, and uh, some of the other quarterbacks there with T.J. McMahon being out is certainly a disappointing offensive performance, but about what you'd expect against UTSA, who certainly are surging here in the second half of the year. Just overall for Mike Bloomgren's club, a little bit disappointing because they've had opportunities, right? You know, they, they had the 17-14 loss to FAU. They had the very disappointing loss to Charlotte the week after Will Healy got fired um, that had they got either of those would have put them at six and not had them in this situation here. So uh, those are really my big uh, takeaways from this game. If you're Rice, like I understand and the point of that system is to kind of establish control on the ground and let what uh, let the cards fall where they may as a result. But if you are like they ran the ball so much and got so little out of it, that was just 
like baffling to me how unsuccessful they were. Like, just look at their drive chart. Punt on the first one, lose a fumble on the second one, lose another fumble on the third one, turnover on downs on the fourth drive, punt, miss field goal, another miss field goal, interception, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, turnover on downs, punt turnover on downs just everything that could go wrong did and you know i think their longest drive actually was eight plays and that was the touchdown drive so uh, or i take that back they did have a turnover on downs drive um in the first half that was 14 plays but if you're having drives that long and coming away with nothing like uh, that that's a tough spot to be in if you're fighting for postseason eligibility Joe, I do not want to get sidetracked here, um, but I had a great conversation with FIU offensive coordinator David Yost, and one of the mm-hmm. things that he he told me that I thought was interesting, and I think just overall it, it's worth noting here because you talked about some of the drive length with Rice. Joe, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Um, he talked about the fact that it's just so hard to ask your offense to go 11, 12, 13, 14 plays and score um, for two reasons. One, um, you know, at some point the defense is going to catch up with you and you just, you, your offense may not be able to execute as many times. And B, when you get in those third downs, right? Like third down is already a hard down to convert because it, it shrinks the playbook. Uh, depending on where you are on the field, it's going to shrink the playbook uh, offensively and defensively. As a result, you only have so many things you, you can prep for, right? So it's kind of hard. You know, the best teams are converting third downs at a 50% clip. To bring it back to Rice, you talked about the fact that they have those long drives. That's kind of been in Mike Bloomberg, if you remember, Joe, talked about it entering this year, um, that they wanted to have more five, six, seven play scoring drives instead of those extended scoring drives of, you know, 12, 13, 14 plays because it's too much to ask your offense to do that multiple times throughout the game. So mm-hmm. uh, I know I got, you know, went a little sidetracked there to bring in that note, but I think it's a key point you make there because of the the, the task. It, 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 it You're asking uh, what you're asking out of your offense and to, you know, try to achieve that task. Yeah, you got to limit the mistakes as well. I mean, like long drive, short drive, <laughs> medium drive, whatever. If you're not getting points, then you're not going to beat good teams. So, all right, let's move on to Charlotte and Louisiana Tech. Just the third win of the season for the 49ers and it was their first home win of the season uh so they send their seniors off with a positive note there uh louisiana tech they dropped to three and eight so they got one game left as uh, charlotte ends their regular season tough day for landry liddy on louisiana tech side at 23 of 31 through the air for 213 yards but did throw two interceptions finished with a qbr of 21 uh tough to see there for the young guy and then marquise crosby um we've talked a lot about how uh, Louisiana Tech is kind of finding success and balancing the run, and they they absolutely did that in this game. Marquise Crosby, twenty one carries for one hundred and five yards and three touchdowns here. Um, but you know, not to take too much away from Charlotte, uh, Chris Reynolds in, in what is you know his final collegiate game, twenty of thirty, two hundred sixty eight yards, and then on the ground, uh, Calvin Camp. We talked about how he was kind of underutilized in the beginning part of the season, but senior goes off on a high note, 11 carries for 111 yards, three touchdowns. Joe, that's my big takeaway of this game. And listen, I'm not here to bash Will Healy. You know, the dude's already out of a job, but that was one of the biggest things that was talked about um, in the immediate aftermath of his firing. Some of the guys who weren't utilized, Calvin Camp was last year's leading rusher. And what did we say entering that, that game that they beat Rice? 
he had something like three carries. We clearly see it it wasn't a uh, performance issue, right? (laughs) You know, 11 carries for 111 yards and three touchdowns, certainly someone who was still capable. So um, I don't know offhand if Calvin Camp is, it will be a beneficiary of the um, COVID year. I believe he's a fifth year guy. So I think that may have been his final performance as well at Jerry Richardson stadium, but all in all, it's just something that I think if you're a Niner fan, it it leaves you a little bit of pause in, in terms of like what could have been when you see things like this but all in all uh great to see chris reynolds go out a winner i i noted this uh, our, our buddy hunter bailey uh shot some great video of you know uh, chris reynolds and vic tucker and some of the seniors and some of those guys who it, joe just overall i mean again you can't you can't live in the past but a really productive group of seniors there for charlotte and and it's just kind of disappointing that they won't go out on a better note than you know yes a win um a win on senior day, but it, again, just you just feel like there's there should have been more more production uh, in terms of the win column for this team this year. But all in all, great to see them go out with a uh, a W. And as you mentioned, uh, with Louisiana Tech, Landry Liddy, a little bit disappointing day there. He's still a really promising guy, Joe. Again, someone had a chance to see him in person when they played at FIU. Really like him. I, I'm really intrigued to see what the competition looks like next year between him and Parker McNeil, um, and we'll see if Matthew Downing is back as well. But um, mm-hmm. You know that definitely provides a glimpse of hope into the uh, a glimpse uh, of hope into the future for Louisiana Tech. But yeah, uh, all in all, good win for Charlotte. And I guess my major takeaway there is just wish things could have been a, a little bit different for them in the, in the win column. Bit of news on the Charlotte side as well in the aftermath of that game, and not entirely unexpected given how things tend to go with uh, coaching transitions, etc. But Grant Debose enters the transfer portal. He's still got some eligibility left. Uh, 6'3", 200-pound guy was a really, really solid um, in the beginning part of this year. It really all throughout the year and was great uh, last season as well. So he'll likely find a home relatively quickly, I would think. <laughs> Grant Debose, listen, Joe, I'm surprised. I thought he could have taken his game to the next level. That was some of the yeah. talk entering this year, especially in the early part of the year. So, no, Grant DeBose is a guy who's going to find a home very quickly. And as you talked about it, with the transfer portal, we are already seeing names enter. So we'll probably have to tape another episode uh, uh, on what, you know, next Monday or Tuesday of next week. We'll have to tape a recap episode and then probably a portal episode with uh, the inevitable, the amount of guys who will enter the portal as soon as the season is over. <laughs> Does that scare you having to talk to me more? <laughs> Nacho, because don't don't fool the folks at home. We talk all the time. I mean, I I was keeping up on with my buddy's exploits uh, via his and uh, his lovely wife, Samantha, your guys' Instagrams. I I saw you looking all sexy there in New Mexico. Cocktail. (laughs) Saw you there, Joe. New Sexico. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, we as sexy as going through uh, an alien museum that costs five dollars for all day pass that takes about ten minutes to see everything can be. I guess so Joe is highlighting the alien museum. I am highlighting the 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 sultry look in his in his face when he was uh, at, sipping on cocktails. There, Joe. Oh. Who's going to put it all out there for uh, for the for the listeners? We'll have to you know find a way to put that on on. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, any New Mexico fans that are in Albuquerque, Copper Lounge, really fun little uh, like 1950s style cocktail bar. Speakeasy or a cocktail bar? Um, it you know I don't I wasn't alive I don't really know the difference but like nah, it it definitely has that kind of like speakeasy kind of vibe but like they were projecting you know movies on the wall from like you know the 50s and 60s or whatever but it all kind of runs together for me. 
I, I am slightly bougier than Joe, so I can distinct. I, I can make distinction between a cocktail lounge and a speakeasy, but I digress. You know, I'm not going to argue with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a jam a bag of Wendy's into my mouth in my car kind of a guy. So anyway, so all right, we're getting sidetracked. Let's talk about uh, Western's loss to Auburn. Tigers win that one, 41 to 17. Not entirely unexpected, but I will say was looking for a little bit better day from the Western offense. Uh, Austin Reed in this one, 26 of 55 on throwing the ball, 289 yards, uh, two touchdowns and two interceptions. Really, it looks as bad as I've seen him since he's come to Western in the first half. You know, I, Auburn's an SEC defense. Don't want to take too much away from them. Uh, I think Cadillac Williams is has done a pretty nice job with them in the interim in terms of getting them to rebound from, you know, Brian Harson's uh, dramatic exit. But um, you know, I, this should have been closer than it was. They had plenty of opportunities, but um, and not to say they were without um, some good moments. Malachi Corley, 12 catches, 99 yards. He's had a fantastic season. Uh, Joshua Simon had some really nice catches as well. He caught two balls, both for touchdowns, uh, 49 yards total. Um, so, I mean, their playmakers made some plays, but just not enough of them. And anytime you play an SEC team on the road, you, you need to execute at every opportunity. Joe, I'm actually in a little bit of a disagree, a little bit of disagreement, not a disagreement, a little bit of disagreement with you on this game. Here's why. If this had been the Auburn team from a few weeks ago, I would be completely on board. Uh, I, I, as a, you know, ten, native of Tampa, uh, why is that important here? I, I was still stunned at the fact that I'm having to refer to Cadillac Williams as a head coach of a college football team because I still think he's right. running for the Bucks. Him and Ernest <laughs> Graham from the uh, mid to late 2000s. Um, Joe, this team's played really inspired football. And I know that sounds cliche, but they, they, A, they've been a good home team this year. But B, I don't think anyone doubted the talent at Auburn. I just think it, 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 even entering the year, as you talked about it, it was a very weird borderline toxic situation with Brian Harson and Auburn and the AD and that whole situation to open the year. So uh, to bring that around to, to Saturday's result, you can say that Western should have played better. And sure, I, I don't necessarily think that Western is 20 something points worse than this year's Auburn team, but I'm not surprised that this year's that, that, that the current Auburn team under Carnell Williams were able to just find that energy. I mean, they clearly look revitalized and rejuvenated. Um, so I wasn't too stunned at the score. I don't, again, I don't think it's indicative of, you know, how uh, maybe where Western is, in relation to Auburn, I just think it's indicative of where Auburn is right now, where they're playing under uh, Carnell Williams. Sure. I don't think that excuses like the mistakes in the first half specifically. I mean, you look at their drive chart again, missed field goal. Braden Arvison's usually pretty dependable. So you got to hit that, even if it is from 50 yards. Turnover on downs after that, punt, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. And then in the second half, you kind of saw a similar trend. Uh, with some more turnovers, more punts, including, you know, that pick six towards the end there. So, um, you know, I'm saying I didn't think I mean, I did pick Western for the upset. Thought there was a realistic chance that Auburn, you know, rose to the occasion and won. I did think this was going to be close. And frankly, it should have been closer. You know, it shouldn't have been a um, 24 point loss the way that like that's, you know, the way the way that Western's offense has played this year, they should have put more points on the board as we know they're well capable of. It almost sounds as if you're saying that, um, in your mind, you felt they just came out tight and kind of fell apart in the second half, as opposed to maybe being outplayed. I mean, I think they came out tight in in both halves. I mean, the start of the game, 
uh, Reed specifically was, you know, just missing guys. Balls were getting underthrown. Uh, receivers, you know, weren't in the right place there as well. Uh, and then he looked better. Uh, the whole offense looked better in kind of the like second half of the second quarter. And then it was kind of a similar story in the second half. They looked, you know, bad coming out of the locker room. They looked a little bit better. And then, you know, at the end, um, didn't look great again with, with the pick six and whatnot. So, you know, I don't know what you can really attribute that to, but you know, I, I did watch Tyson Helton's presser uh, earlier this week and prep for the FAU game. I know they're not going to dwell on it. I know they're going to come out and frankly, you know, I, it's hard to, you know, I don't want to speculate, but like this game really didn't mean much in the grand scheme of Western season, right? Like they still need to win against FAU this week to be in the CUSA title conversation, which we'll talk about. But since this was a non-conference game, again, it didn't, and they, they've already secured a postseason berth anyway. So again, it, it didn't, it didn't mean much. So I assume we'll see them, uh, you know, shift their perspective on it and play better this week. Speaking of FAU, let's talk about their loss to Middle Tennessee State. Blue Raiders win that one 49 to 21. Eric, we've talked about it so much. You just never know what Middle Tennessee team you're going to get. Uh, Chase Cunningham, he threw five touchdown passes for 448 yards, deservedly named the COSA Offensive Player of the Week for that performance. Um, it would career high for him as well. So uh, good to see for him, especially getting that done at home. And then FAU, they dropped a five and six. You know, as we've talked about, they are fighting for their postseason lives here. Nikosi Perry, 19 of 36 for 325 yards and a touchdown in this one. Finished with a QBR of 48.6. Um, you know, not a great day for the rushing game either. 31 yards net on 32 carries. So that's that's never going to win you games, unfortunately. You know, I've I've kind of <laughs> resigned myself to the fact that MTSU is a very unpredictable team. They have the uh, talent to put up these kind of results, but it, you know, as evidenced by the six and five record, had trouble doing it on a consistent basis once again this year. Joe, I'm not going to spend much time on FAU because I know we're going to talk about them a little bit later in the middle portion of this podcast. Sure. <laughs> Can I just ask you to elaborate on one thing before I go? You, you said that you know they're an inconsistent team, and yeah. Uh, what's your, I don't want to get repetitive because I know I've made the point about what I believe is a successful season for middle Tennessee, pretty much year in year out. So just based on your last statement there, are you saying that when you look, take a look at their schedule and the way they've played that they should be better than six and five, or I just want to get a little more understanding of that last sentence there i'm not trying to scrutinize it i just i'm just curious definitely i think the game that i think you look back and like they absolutely should have won when they didn't was the loss to louisiana tech a few weeks ago should absolutely be seven and five by now and i think if you know given things go the way i think we both think they're going to go next week against fiu then that would put them at, at uh eight and four yeah eight and four so, I mean, I think that would have been best case scenario, really, given kind of the talent level of some of the other teams in uh, in CUSA this year. That That's kind of my thought. And I mean, we we also kind of wrote them off against UTEP, at least I did. I came back and, and won that game. So that's kind of what I mean when I say MTSU has been unpredictable this year. Okay. All right. No, no, that, that greatly helps um, give me a little more understanding because I do think that um, in terms of in terms of Middle Tennessee, this is about what you can expect from a Rick Stockstill team year in and year out. I know some people are down on Rick Stockstill. Some people think, all right, they're, you know, mediocrity. Rick Stockstill's career record hovers somewhere around that 500 mark, maybe a handful of games above it. 
But I think there is something in the consistency. And Joe, dare I say, I will gladly take your opinion on this. If you ask most Conference USA fans, I think they would say that Rick Stock still as a coach costs you a game or two that you probably should win. I would flip it and say Rick Stock still probably gets you a game or two that you're not expecting. And I don't think that is, follow me here. Um, I think some people look at like a Tyson Helton, right, as as a as a game day coach um, and say like, all right, you know, that guy's going to get you an, an additional win, right? Just something's going to do on game day. I just think Rick Stock still as a coach, as an overall guy in your program, is going to find a way to get his teams to get an additional win or two. That may sound crazy. Many people who may think, all right, I'm just full of crap. But when I look at this middle team and I look at the talent on the roster, I'm not saying they're bad, but I'll say it again. You lose Greg Gray to the portal. You lose Dorian Hinton to the portal. They, Joe, they lost a lot of guys to the portal. And then, of course, Reed Blankenship to the NFL. And they still managed to come out here and be a bowl-eligible team. That I, I don't have the preseason predictions offhand, but I don't think many people had Middle Tennessee at six and five with a chance to go seven and five. So I'm just gonna put it the focus on Rick Stockstill and you know kind of give them credit for the way they've been able to come back again, uh, specifically after the 44-7 loss of James Madison that we're seeing as a really good football team. They come back and win that game uh, against Colorado State on the road. They beat FAU. Probably no one had them winning that. And of course, the Miami win at the time. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of overall my thoughts on middle. I, I mean, I, I could go into Chase Cunningham. You, you touched on it. Um, the defensive playmakers or guys are still making plays. Jordan Ferguson, Teldrick Ross, five pass breakups. That's another guy. Again, I don't want to go down a, a side like a tangent, but some people see, tend to believe that he's a beneficiary of just, you know, some teams throwing at him. I think Teldrick Ross is a pretty damn good defensive back in Conference USA. Uh, you know, Zalen Wood, the list goes on. So, I'll, I'll stop the rant there on middle and, and let you upon. Can I hit you with a conspiracy theory that I can't prove, but also just is funny to think about to me? Yeah, go for it. So with MTSU, like you look back at the last eight years or so and the bowls that they've managed to get to in that time, they're all in, except for the Camellia Bowl in 2017, they're all in like really nice, like tropical places, <laughs> like 2015 Bahamas Bowl, 2016 Hawaii Bowl. 2017 Camellia Bowl, 2018 New Orleans Bowl, 2021 Bahama Bowl. And then if you looked at uh, Brett McMurphy's, I believe, uh, latest bowl projections, MTSU's projected to get selected for the Hawaii Bowl again. So is MTSU just staying in this record range on purpose in order to get the bids for the bowl games that are in the really nice locations? Joe, this is the hard-hitting journalism that I've come to appreciate from you, and <laughs> the Blue Raiders are coming to Miami on Saturday. I will listen. Ask. I spent multiple days in Roswell, New Mexico. I got to hit you with some tinfoil hat stuff. That is absolutely true. I will ask Rick Stocksell that question if he has some sort of conspiracy in the way he is just negotiating his. You know, he's like, guys, guys, nine wins is too much. We're not. We're not looking to go to Montgomery. We're looking to go to Hawaii. <laughs> that's not a slide on montgomery I, I i was at montgomery the chameleon i mean I, I, sure but i would absolutely take honolulu over montgomery alabama eight days a week utep beat fiu 40 to 6 and with this one not entirely unexpected utep staying alive in the postseason hunt but they got to play utsa next week not going to be an easy task there uh grayson james six of 16 for 56 yards through the air in this game 
Uh, Hayden Carlson also got in there uh, through five passes. None of them were completed. Um, it's just a tough offensive day all around for the Panthers. I mean, you look at their total offensive production, only 71 yards, five first downs all game. So uh, UTEP really in control the whole time. Uh, Eric, I know you were in El Paso to kind of take in what happened here. So I'll let you pine on, on what you saw in this one. Joe, just going to pick up where you left off there. You talked about the total yardage and first downs. All of that came in the first half. The Panthers did not get a first down the second half. Uh, very few yards in the second half. I, I want to say it was something like under 10. So that just kind of goes to show you the day it was. Joe, it was, uh, first off, I, I mean, I know you were in the region, so you know how chilly it can be. It was a freezing day in, in El Paso, Texas. Um, I mean, just <laughs> an incredibly – I mean, not like freezing like zero, but just – for anyone who's, who's never been to the, the Sun Bowl, it, it is essentially surrounded by mountains. So it, it becomes a wind tunnel when you get any sort of breeze. And that thing, you know, when the sun set at five-something out there and it's 39 degrees and that wind is – whipping through you it, it, it felt like uh it was pretty cold waiting for the postgame presser outside the fiu locker room but uh, like i said uh give credit to utep a really strong defensive performance you really saw the defensive line of utep really overwhelmed the fiu offensive line uh jadrian taylor keenan stewart kelton moss praise amahule i think there was another player who got a sack as well you know cal wallerstead made a was the um or excuse me, the game's second leading tackler, so definitely made some plays. I think the big thing, Joe, that you got to take a look at are, are two things. One, Calvin Brownholtz, he has been a career backup in Conference USA for four years now. On senior day, gets to start with Gavin Hardison un, uh, unavailable. Goes 12 of 18 for a buck 90, two scores. Could have completed a couple more passes. He had a, like two passes that were just overthrown. He runs for a touchdown. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit because they got to, you know, get one more win to get in bowl contention. But, Joe, I was just extremely surprised because, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest and very frank. I, I went on ESPN El Paso, ESPN 600 El Paso. Shout out to my guys, Steve Kapowitz and Adrian Bradis for having me on for an entire hour to plug both Underdog Dynasty and talk this game. But I was not expecting this kind of performance from Calvin Brownholz. I thought if Calvin Brownholz started this game that it, there'd be a fair chance for FIU to win it. But. They proved me wrong. And last but not least, Ray Flores in the backfield, Joe, uh, a guy who started his career as a running back, is the team's second leading receiver, came into this game with something only like six carries for 56 yards. So clearly Dana Dimmel and company must have seen something on film that said, we're going to stick him in the backfield. And he was the game's leading rusher with 13 carries for a buck 28. So all in all, a dominant performance for UTEP. And we'll see what happens when they uh, get a chance to get that six win. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, you mentioned there were some funny moments uh, in the uh, FIU postgame presser with uh, relation to the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm curious what uh, what happened there. Well, actually, Joe, not the not the postgame. It was actually the presser we just had on Tuesday. Ah. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah, I, I could have made that a little bit clear. But uh, I'll toss to some sound here of Mike McIntyre talking about what his favorite dishes are. He makes a heavy emphasis on the sweets. So uh, just curious here. We'll toss that sound here in a minute. And then when we come back from it, Joe, I, I will take your thoughts on um, though, that sound and uh, the sweets. How's the game? Coach, uh, start off Thanksgiving schedule for the guys, and what is the Thanksgiving outlook at the McIntyre household? Well, the Thanksgiving, the guys have been practicing. Tomorrow night, um, we'll have a big um, feast with the team and everything, and then uh, Thursday morning, we'll get up and practice, and then the players 
will go, some of their families are in, they'll go with them to lunch, and there's some that don't, they'll go to coaches' houses and eat and do all that, and so we'll have people, different people at our house. Um, and uh, um, so my wife would cook a big turkey, and I'll, I'll just come home and eat it. <laughs> so um, I'm excited about that, and, and then different players or coaches or different ones come to our house. So everybody's got a place to go, and I always enjoy tomorrow night when we have a big feast with the team, and um, Scott Carr and different people are all gonna be here. And, just a, a thank you deal. And all the all the coaches' wives all make their favorite dessert. So um, and so they'll have all these desserts there, which I hardly even get to food. I just go straight to the dessert table. Um, so that's always fun. So that means banana pudding's first up, right? Banana pudding, that'd be up first. <laughs> you you've you've talked Mike McIntyre. What answer would you expect? He's, yeah. He seems like a sugar guy. <laughs> Most of yeah, uh, yeah. I mean the the dessert aspect of it. Totally get. I we've t- we've heard rather. I haven't had it. That uh, his his wife's banana pie supposedly is fantastic. So uh, can definitely understand that. There's Thanksgiving is the time where you see a lot of different desserts, which is which is cool. The, my our, my friends that I'm staying with in New Mexico, I know her nieces are coming over to make uh, like chocolate pie, so that's going to be good. I'm making some scotcheroos, which are kind of a Midwest upper Midwest delicacy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm probably more of a, a savory guy as opposed oh. to sweets, but okay. I, I do. I like sweets, you know, I, I bake a lot, but you know, okay. That, that caught my car. And, and just, just, just so, um, you know, coach McIntyre or, uh, uh Trisha McIntyre, Mrs. McIntyre is here. This it's her uh, banana pudding, not the banana pie, but just want to say that for the, for, for the record. Um, thought I said banana pudding. Yeah. No, no, no. You're, you're good, Joe. Um, I am a sweets guy. Uh, hey, listen, as much as I love, you know, stuffing and baked mac and cheese, which Grace and James talked about and said, God, if, if you go to someone's Thanksgiving dinner and they don't have good mac and cheese, you can't trust them. I agree with Grayson there. Uh, you'll hear later on this podcast or something that I disagree with Grayson with, but I digress. Um, love all those things, but dude, you put me in front of apple pie, sweet potato pie, gotta have sweet potatoes, not pumpkin, sweet potato, um, apple, blueberry, um, gosh, I mean, the list goes on in terms of things. I mean, growing up in a Caribbean family, you have certain Caribbean sweets, certain Caribbean delicacies, um, rum cake. And, and again, I, I, I don't want to get us too far down a rabbit hole because I know like traditional U.S. families, you know, if you get a fruitcake, that's like the kiss of death. Um, <laughs> a, a, a Caribbean rum cake, Joe, is uh, the most moist fruitcake you've ever had, just drenched in Jamaican rum. Appleton primarily, and then an icing over the top. The, the, the bleep is amazing. Um, so yeah, stick me for the sweets and I'm good. Oh man, coming from in you know Irish family, we do something. I'm sure it's v- varies differently in quality from family to family. But uh, my grandma used to make a cake with uh, Bailey's in it. That was the bomb. <laughs> oh man, that would be right up my alley. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Making me hungry. All right. And let's wrap up the recap with LSU and UAB. Number six, Tigers win that one 41 to 10. Kind of what we thought would happen there. Tigers, very good team. They improved to nine and two. UAB drops to five and six. So they also need one more win this weekend to get to, uh, back to the postseason in uh, the first year with Bryant Vincent at the helm here. Uh, Dwayne McBride did get a touchdown in this one 13 carries for 34 yards. Uh, you know, it, LSU's defense is. Um, really good. So it's not like completely unexpected. However, I would say like a better day for him here would have helped solidify his case for some of these postseason awards. We keep saying we wish he was uh, being more seriously considered for along with some of the other guys in the G5. But um, 
that that's kind of my thought there. Dylan Hopkins, he's back uh, for this one, 14 of 29 for 158 yards through the air. Nothing real crazy jumps out at you from uh, the the passing game there. Obviously, when you only get t- uh, 10 um 10 points total you know it's it's good to see that they didn't turn the ball over against an lsu defense that's this solid and they also forced two turnovers probably could have uh done with you know some better some better uh, rushing attack like we said only 48 yards for the entire team in this game on 22 attempts and uh eight penalties you know we we've talked a lot about uab being one of the more penalized teams in all of fbs and and uh that came back to bite them a little bit in this one but overall when you play the number six team in the nation you're expecting to to lose more or less but i don't know some good things and some bad things for the blazers in that one yeah joe i mean i think you kind of touched on it when you take on a team like lsu not much of a surprise in the performance that the blazers were able to put up offensively and defensively you did talk about the fact that uh, a little bit disappointing Dwayne mcbride couldn't have a better showing which you know would have helped his case for some of the more national awards Definitely didn't miss a point there. Um, I will come back to one question about the Blazers here uh, that I want your thoughts on. But all in all, my big takeaway is Jaden Daniels is a hell of a player. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, bet you wish uh, the, the folks in in uh, in Tempe. Um, uh, yeah, that's where the Sun Devils play, correct? Right. Yeah. Tucson, Arizona, Tempe. All right. There we go. I yeah. bet the folks in Tempe wish uh, they still had him out there. You know, Coach Herman Edwards, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be working at ESPN right now. So like Jaden Daniels out there for the Sun Devils. So, I mean, a heck of a player. And clearly with LSU, just a stabilizing force in Brian Kelly outside of his, you know, line about family at the beginning of the year. Outside of that, it has been nothing but, you know really kind of success for the Tigers. Joe, the thing about UAB that I was going to ask you about, and I, I want your thoughts, an 0-5 record on the road. And yes, okay, let's take LSU out of it. You lose at FAU, you lose at Western Kentucky, you lose at Rice, you lose at Liberty. Uh, do you make anything of that? I mean, I mean, just in terms of, you know, maybe say Brian Vincent or the team, or does that 0-5 record say anything to you at all? I mean, it's not good. I don't like. I don't. I don't have anything deeper than that. I mean, we know UAB's good. Uh, we know UAB's good at home. Um, we've seen them play uh, really well in the uh, the friendly confines of Protective Stadium. But yeah, I, I don't really have an explanation for that. We've seen them play well at home and on the road these last few years under Bill Clark. So. I don't really know what you can attribute that to. And I know they were dealing with uh, some injuries the last couple of weeks with uh, Dylan Hopkins kind of going through concussion protocol and, and have dealt with some other various, you know, injuries um, throughout the year, but you still have a ton of talent on that team. And uh, you know, even if they are able to finish this regular season, six and six, that's not really what you expected from a, from a UAB team that was um, expected to contend for the CUSA title. Yeah, I mean, that may be something we all have to talk about next week because the storyline that we talked about coming out of media days was Brian Vincent and keeping this train on the tracks, not putting it all on him. But you look at three, four, five of those losses Mm -hmm. by one score or less. Uh, So that is tough there. And again, four of those on the road. So just an interesting uh, thing I'd pull out. But, you know, Joe doesn't make much of it as someone is banging <laughs> on my door for no reason, but I digress. It's not that I don't make much of it. It's just, it seems like the, the simplest answer is the most correct one or, or whatever Occam's razor says, like it, you, you have to win games in order to succeed. And they're not doing that, especially on the road. A very simple, straightforward man. 
<laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Can you tell us He's, the holidays or did Joe and I are just, you know, trying to make this whole podcast without just, you know, giggling the entire time? <laughs> He's a simple man gobbling Wendy's in his car, <laughs> <laughs> hiding it from his family because he doesn't want to share. Anyway. Um, all right. Real quick to start, let's talk about Biff Poggy being officially introduced as the newest head coach of the Charlotte football program. First of all, if you're not if you guys aren't following Jeremy Grandison on Twitter, he's been our newest Charlotte contributor for Underdog Dynasty and highly recommend that for updates on that team and, and what they're doing. But um, he was in attendance at uh, Poggy's introductory presser and uh, wrote some takeaways to uh, based on what he heard from Coach Poggy. And um, the first one, which was interesting and certainly makes sense given where the program is and, and how they want to you know bounce back from this kind of year immediately, they're going to hit the transfer portal hard, um, specifically for defensive backs that can make an immediate impact. Which let's let's start there, Eric. Well, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I. I don't know how to feel about it, but let me tell you why. As someone who has seen a team in FIU, and apologies for all the listeners who get tired of comparing things to FIU, but it's my reference point. I saw how hard they hit the portal. You know what? I'd have to use them as a reference point, Joe. We can use all all across college football, especially the G5 level. Mm -hmm. How hard teams have hit the portal. Sometimes it works like Western Kentucky, and you, you hit on, say, 7 out of 10. And sometimes it works like FIU or even FAU or some other teams and you hit on a a less percentage of that, right? My feelings on the portal have kind of evolved a bit. So I think you can do it in moderation, but I do think you got to be able to, at the end of the day, recruit your area well, especially if you're in a fertile recruiting ground like Charlotte. So if Biff Poggy is talking about recruiting the portal for a specific position or, you know, like, for example, man, worth it on the O-line. We need to go get three or four guys and two of them, maybe it will start. One, you know, might come for some depth and maybe one, you know, doesn't pan out. I'm fine with that. Reshaping your whole roster from the portal, I think you got to be very selective about that. So maybe, and again, Jeremy was there. We'll have to get um, we'll have to get with uh, you know, Jeremy and Hunter Bailey and, uh, as well to maybe get some more context. Um, because I don't know if he was talking about that in specificity to a question asked about one spot, or if he was saying, "Hey," because um, I did see a quote that said this isn't a rebuild. So I don't know if Biff is thinking, "All right, we're going to get the portal hard. I've got connections. We're going to bring in some Power Five talent," and you know. We're going through the roof. That's fine. But we, Joe, we've had people on this podcast who have talked about how fertile that recruiting ground is. And I mean, you can even just look in that area, Joe. They get out recruited by not just, uh, you know, Duke, Carolina, NC State, but, you know, the East Carolinas of the world and and, and others um, as well. So that's just my takeaway on, on that that subject. Yeah. App State, Coastal Carolina. I yeah. Mean, Grayson McCall's a North Carolina native as well. So. Even that. Yeah, you mentioned offensive line, and that was also another point of emphasis for Poggy in this presser and talking about kind of bolstering the middle of the field. Um, as Jeremy pointed out, Charlotte finished 10th in CUSA in rushing yards per game and rushing yards allowed. So clearly some uh, some depth and, and some size is needed on the offensive line and on the interior defensive line. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> again, I don't want to sound repetitive. I yeah. just – I, I just wonder, like, that's fine. And that that's, Joe, those are two spots that I don't necessarily mind you going to the portal for, right? Because, as you talked about, you can, at the bare minimum, get size from, you know, the Power 5 level. I just want to know that that's not going to be 
if you got 40 something scholarships available, I just want to know that you're not going to put more than half of that into the portal. Does that make sense? Yeah, that'd be bad. That's not uh, that's not a great way to build a roster. I mean, I mean, I'll give you you know a non CUSA example. We've seen, um, uh, come on, uh, uh, Jake Spavita at Texas State hit the, mm-hmm. the portal hard over the past few years. He may be out of a job in a week. So yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, now now that you say that, it's I'm just thinking about all of the work we're gonna have to do in the next few weeks with regards to coaching carousel. But yes, I mean, Spavital is a perfect example of how. <laughs> the portal approach cannot uh, go your way if you rely on it too heavily. And I don't know, the thought of like, this isn't a rebuild is odd. Like call it whatever you want. That's kind of what it is. I mean, there needs to be some, some significant change in, in the way that uh, Charlotte, you know, approaches this sport if they want to improve and improve to a point where they're competitive in the new uh, AAC. But, you know, even if it is a step down from what folks have expected the AAC uh, I've come to expect from the AAC, given the success of the conference over the last decade or so, it's still a significant jump up in competition from CUSA, in my opinion. So, like, you're gonna, it's it's a rebuild, no matter how you look at it. You know what I mean? A spade to spade. I don't disagree with you there. I wonder how much that is just a talking point for the presser to sure. be completely transparent with you. You know, because no fans are. I don't think Charlotte fans are are, are looking to hear that it's a rebuild. So I, I just I'm, I just wonder if that's just a talking point for the for the presser. I don't know. We'll see. It could be. I mean, and not just for the fans. I mean, for the uh, the players that are going to end up sticking around. If you tell them it's a rebuild, then in their mind, it's like, well, there's another year of my eligibility gone. You know what I mean? Right. All right, let's jump into some previews for the last week of the regular season in CUSA. FAU hosting Western Kentucky on CBS Sports Network with kick at noon Eastern. WKU minus seven and a half heading into this one. And, you know, Western still a lot to play for. They need a win in this game, and they also need a North Texas loss to qualify for the CUSA title game. Um, Currently tied for second with North Texas in the conference standings. But of course, North Texas has that head-to-head win over the Hilltoppers from earlier in the season. Uh, ESPN FBI giving the top 65.9% chance to win. Uh, Who knows? uh, FAU had some troubles this year, but they do play relatively well when they're at home. Um, and they haven't been at home in uh, a few weeks since they beat F uh, since they beat UAB rather on Halloween weekend. So um, who knows the home field advantage might play into it, but you know, Eric, I'm expecting a tops win, um, but they need to rebound from the performance they had last week against Auburn. And I think they know that they've still got a lot to play for. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of Western Kentucky. They have a lot to play for, but do they have as much to play for as the owls? I, I know that sounds somewhat silly, but here's my point. Mm-hmm. Western Kentucky, certainly, we'll see how the chips fall. There's an outside chance that they can make the CUSA title game. And I guess that would put them a rematch heading to the Alamo Dome, right? Yep. Florida Atlantic, I don't think there's any two ways you can say it. We've talked uh, you know, about delaying this conversation for a while, but I, they're playing for their head coach's job. I do not see a way that Willie Taggart can return. And this is not my opinion. This is from what I'm hearing on the ground there in, in, in Boca, I don't see a path for Willie Taggart to be able to return to Florida Atlantic in his current role, or I guess in any role, um, if they lose this game. So they're playing for a lot. They, the 
Joe, the conversation around this team, the conversation around Willie Taggart is much different if they win this one and win a bowl game and finish seven and six than if they finish five and seven again. There's just no two ways about it. And, and listen, I've been someone who's been a defender of Willie Taggart on this podcast. I, I've you know, made the case that I think that some of the stops he's been at previously weren't necessarily indicative of him. Florida State, they're finally turning things around, but it's taken them a few years. Only had the one year at Oregon, but it, it really Taggart's almost coaching for, you know, his own coaching resume. Uh, three straight years of, of underwhelming play uh, would not be a good look on his resume as well. So, Joe, I, I don't know if you have any conclusive thoughts. I know you're not going to call for a coach's firing, but just in terms of, you know, maybe from a 10,000 foot view of the program, what you mm-hmm. think um, their their outlook looks like if they finish seven and six with the bowl win and, of course, the win on Saturday versus five and seven. Yeah, you know, I'll say if they lose to Western Kentucky this weekend, based on all of the situational evidence that's presenting itself in the last couple of weeks, combined with you know what people inside the program have uh, have said, what uh, what the fan reaction is, and you know just the way that this team's performing and the way that they have just really not overcome a lot of the of the problems that have presented themselves for uh, for the Owls since. Lane Kiffin left. I don't see Willie Tiger coming back. So, I mean, that again, it makes no difference to me one way or the other. I'm impartial, but based on empirical evidence, it's it's tough to imagine this situation resolving itself any other way. Right. And and I think again, that's kind of the point that you can't avoid there. Um, the the fans on the crown and poker are not happy, especially with the loss to middle. And I get it. It, you lose to a team that is going to remain in Conference USA. You're going to the American. You lose that decisively. It, it, there's a reason for frustration there. So we'll see how things mm-hmm. play out. But yeah, that's a, a not taking away from anything that Western's playing for. But I, I, I think there's certainly a bigger, uh, a bigger philosophical um, kind of deal that they're playing for uh, it, it, with FAU. Playing for their lives, as uh, Willie Taggart put it this week. All right, let's talk about North Texas hosting Rice at. Two Eastern on ESPN Plus, Mean Green minus 14 in this matchup. I would be surprised if North Texas did not pull this off. Um, obviously, they get a win. They are going to the CUSA title game, as we kind of mentioned. Rice, if they do manage to get this win, then they're postseason eligible, which would be um, you know, them meeting their goal that they've had for a while since Mike Bloomgren came in. Um, but certainly a tough task playing against a North Texas rushing attack. That's been great all year and a defense that has been really good in points uh, or in, in um, what do you call in bursts? Let's say, you know, we know there's a ton of talent on that team, but statistically I was looking at it. I believe they are uh, in really close to the bottom of FBS in either scoring defense or total defense. Rice, as you mentioned, playing for a lot, a chance for a bowl berth for the first time in a while, but I don't see there's any way that North Texas lets this one slip away given what they've been able to accomplish this year, the the opportunity to get a rematch with UTSA again at the Alamo Dome. I, I just mm-hmm. think that's too much. So, I mean, give me North Texas. I don't know. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say maybe a one-score game. I'd be a little bit stunned if it's a blowout, but I think the mean green will take this one. Sure. And then if we do get the opportunity to see that North Texas UTSA rivalry have another chapter in the same season, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about that, honestly. Um, and then we have 
at 3.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Louisiana Tech hosting UAB as UAB needs one more win to get to the postseason. Hard to imagine they don't get it. They're favored by 17 and a half. Um, you know, I think this is kind of just like that one last chance for, you know, doing bride to just kind of pump the numbers a bit and just see you know why he's he's deserving of some of these awards that he's been on the uh the watch list on um for the majority of the season so that's the storyline that i'm watching um for louisiana tech um it's just a matter of playing for pride at this point once you get past that point of you know seven losses then that's that's all that's really in front of you um but if they can finish the season with four wins in sunny cumby's first season at the helm that's that's not bad but, um, you know, I think it's going to we, we knew it was going to be kind of an adjustment with a new system that he's putting in place there. I'll make it short and sweet. The storyline I am watching is a big difference between a five and seven UAB team and a team that qualifies for a bowl for a, I think this would be a fifth consecutive year. They have yeah. to get a win. It, it is imperative for the I don't want to say it's going to break the trajectory of the program or anything like that. But just to give that type of momentum that you would expect that, that you would want going into the American. And as you talked about some of the expectations that they had coming into this year, they need to get this win. And I believe they will. Yeah. And then we have UTSA hosting UTEP at 3.30 Eastern on Stadium. UTSA minus 17 as they host a minor program that's looking to get that all-important six win to get to to bowl eligibility for the second consecutive year. Um, I think minors are going to be short of that. However, UTSA is too good. And even if they do opt to rest some guys uh, prior to the COSA title game, in a, in a few weeks here, um, when either North Texas or Western Kentucky comes to town for that one, um, I think I, I think they they just have the miners outmatched in terms of talent. So that's that's kind of what I'm expecting. Uh, might not be the kind of game that we saw from Frank Harris last week, where he, you know, it, it looks like a superhero out there basically. But um, I think we're going to see another strong day for the Roadrunners as they uh, clinch another double season. Absolutely agree with you. I think the task is going to be too tough for Calvin Brownholtz. And it's going to be interesting, Joe, because the feeling around some of the people, um, not you know around the program, but you know some of the media there in El Paso was some curiosity about what could be. Yep. Was Calvin Brownholtz more of a runner than obviously Gavin Hardison as a passer? And the expectation is that Brownholtz will start this game instead of Gavin. But with that being said, I, again, I think it's too tough of an ask, UTSA. J- just quite frankly, uh, I mean, they're a much better team. And as you talked about, I mean, the only scenario that I, I see UTEP finding a way to get this one out is if Jeff Trailer decides, hey, you know, we're getting the guys out after a quarter and, and we're going to the reserves. But as they've shown all here, they do have a talented group of reserves. Um, again, the, the very veteran group that UTEP uh, has, they're playing for a lot. Obviously, their they're bowl lives, back-to-back bowls would be great for Dana Timmel and, and, and UTEP, you know, praise Amahule, Ray Flores, uh, the list goes on and it a really um, talented group of veteran seniors there, but I think there's going to fall one game short. Then closing out the slate, we have FIU hosting Middle Tennessee State at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3, Blue Raiders minus 19 and a half with this game. I find it tough to imagine MTSU losing this game, especially given the role we've seen chase cunningham get on the last few weeks um i don't think he needs to have that kind of day but you know i I think frankly i think you want to see their seniors play well you want to see um the 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 guys that are going to be key players in their bowl game stay healthy as well for fiu five and seven in year one under 
Mike McIntyre would be nothing to shake a stick at. I know some folks were hoping to see them get to bowl eligibility after that hot start. Either way, that's not going to happen um, it, regardless of the result on Saturday. But, um, you know, I, I do want to see them. I'm interested to see how their defense responds to the last couple of weeks and whether or not they can kind of limit um, – some of the playmakers on this MTSU offense, like Jalen Lane and Frank Pizan. Yeah, Joe, before I get into the game breakdown here, we'll just end with one last funny question for you. I had a, uh, you know, a lighthearted interaction with quarterback Grayson James, who is really one of the, you know, rising talents in, in conference USA. We'll have to see how he can finish the year. Um, but, you know, got the start for, which will be his 11th consecutive start coming up on Saturday, but had a bit of a lighthearted moment in which he, he called me out for my music takes, something I know you will appreciate <laughs> given the amount of music we talk on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> We'll toss it to that sound here where he uh, he disagrees with with one of my music takes. Grayson, last one for you. Last time we're talking to you, so I'll throw a fun one out at <clears throat> a fun one out at you. What's on the pregame playlist? Uh, well, number one, Drake. I know. I mean, I, I, I'm on Twitter a little bit, so I know you're not the biggest. <laughs> so Drake's definitely number one. But, um, my top three is definitely Drake, um, Young Boy, and Lil Uzi. Those are my go-to's. But yeah, all right. I'm a Drake stan. I know you're not. Too much of a fan of his, but I'll talk about it later. I'll talk about next year, Grayson. Grayson just want to rock on the playlist. Hey, can't go wrong. That's that's more of a locker room, you know. We 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 get a win on Saturday. (laughs) First hunter, we might get a video. Guys hitting that one for TikTok. All right, so Joe, as you heard it, um, enlightening. Yeah, Grayson, a very big fan of Drake. Uh, he called me out for for not being a fan. So, uh, a you know we've talked about hip hop law on this podcast. I'll give you a chance to opine on that if you want. But the question I had for you was, um, what is the the most you know kind of humorous interaction you've had in in, in a presser that you can remember? <laughs> uh, the it's funny. Last night I was telling someone about the Jordan Ferguson karate incident, and that's pro- that's still. <laughs> That's still the top. That's still the funniest one to me. For the um, for the folks at home, sorry, I was taking a sip of water and I was not expecting Joe to go there because that was one of those things where if you were there in the moment, it was freaking hilarious. But sorry, Joe, continue. <laughs> I mean, the, the the gist of the story is for people that haven't heard, Jordan Ferguson said something about building camaraderie. But what I heard was he was doing karate. And I was the only one in the room that heard it. I asked a follow-up question at CUSA Media Days, and I got the strangest look from, you know, the two dozen people in the room. <laughs> and I was like, never mind. That was, yeah, that was it. I, I you know, there, I've, there's been so many with uh, Louisville guys as well. There were a lot of, uh, in kind of the mid, early to mid 2010s, there were a lot of fun personalities on that Louisville team. One that sticks out, Quentin Snyder, who is kind of like a hometown kid as well. Um, we needed him to sign something, and his hands were covered in uh, Dorito dust. And he was like, "Can I wait?" He's like, "Can it wait?" And I was like, "It, it kind of can't." So we got this like document that we needed from him, and then we handed it back to the comptroller or whatever, whoever I don't remember what staff member it was. And it was like, "Why is this covered in Dorito dust?" And I was like, "It was snack time for Q." <laughs> <laughs> cannot uh cannot be mad at that at all um in terms of the game on the field yeah um from middle tennessee obviously we talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast absolutely for them to get seven wins definitely something that not very many people saw and ent- coming entering the year so that would be 
certainly something that they are playing for. For FIU, you talked about the fact that the four wins is definitely constitutes a good year, and I would agree. I think the preseason prediction for them, most people had them around two wins, although I had them at four and eight. So I'll take a little bit of a victory lap there. With that being said, this offense, Joe, uh, I don't have the number. I was writing it a second ago. Uh, I want to say, Joe, this off the top of my head, that that offense has been outscored in the past. In, in the four losses, they've been outscored 217 to – or excuse me, in, in their four worst losses, they've been outscored 217 to 23. That is uh, not good, especially in the past three weeks. It has been, um, you know, the 40 to 6, the 52, 14, and then 50 to 7, if my memory is serving correct, if I got those all. Uh, no, wait, one of those was a shutout. So I, I'm trying to remember all the scores here. Anyhow, the point is, Joe, as you talked about, not getting a first down in the second half, uh, 50-something total yards overall, that, that's got to improve. So for this offense overall, especially for Grayson James, who we just heard that sound from, for him, you know, kind of transitioning into what would be his junior year as a quarterback, a first full year as a starter this year, definitely want to end the season on a high note, whether that is a win or at least some offensive progress. I think that would make Panther fans feel a little more comfortable and, uh, you know, players on that team feel a little more comfortable as far as putting uh, 2021 uh, behind them and really finishing this year on a high note. With that being said, I do think the Blue Raiders will win, but I'm expecting a, more of a fight from the FIU Panthers. Hard to believe the regular season is almost over. We are going to have bowl games. We're going to have title game. Uh, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. As we know, college football is a year-round sport now, so we're not going anywhere, but uh, live games – Enjoy it while it lasts, kids. This is your last uh, last chance to get a full slate for uh, a little bit. So enjoy that. Enjoy some time with your families. Have a great holiday weekend. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Underdog Dynasty. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And uh, we'll we'll be back with more uh, transfer portal updates and, and whatnot in the near future, as well as a title game preview next week. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. 